Welcome back. This week, we discussed the January 6th ride hearings, leftists misunderstanding what conservatives want again, and cryptocurrency taking a nosedive. I'm Luke. And I'm Rody. And this is the Right Side of the Compass podcast. Okay, Rody. so uh, how was your weekend? My weekend was good yeah you know it's uh it's still uh it's still going so we're not done yet that's good that's good well we started this weekend off with several big events we started off with pride month ending so now we don't have to care about gay people anymore well what what month is this it's july it's not pride Month. thank you i know that but what's what's the 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 month quotation i don't i don't know i don't know what the month is we we haven't dubbed it It, it's not pride year yet so it is nothing according (laughs) to the left so we left the holy month of pride and uh, now we are in july so that was a nice way to start off the weekend and then you know for those canadians who watch us it was canada day on january on january july 1st it was canada day you know canada being of course america's hat and washington's greatest mistake but this Monday, this Monday is the most important holiday in all of America, July 4th. Yeah, good old July 4th. Yep. And as a, a famous philosopher once said, history started on July 4th, 1776. Everything else before that was a mistake. <laughs> so, Who said uh, that? That was Ron Swanson. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the most classic Ron Swanson thing you could say. Yeah. So uh, we we hope you are having a great July 4th. Since this is being recorded on Sunday, we're actually recording it on July 3rd. So it will be out, God willing, by July 4th. So if you have nothing else going on when you're, you know, when you're grilling those Franks on the, you know, barbecue or whatever, you got the hamburgers and you got the whatever it is you want to do on that grill, remember to be blasting Right Side of the Compass podcast, the July 4th edition blasting don't just play you gotta blast it you gotta blast it let everyone else know speaking of letting everyone else know we do want to continue providing content for you dear listener and we want to expand our content eventually you know maybe have more episodes per week have different types of episodes maybe get more hosts things like that i'm getting a bit ahead of myself of course but uh we can't do that without your help so if you like our content be sure to like the video Be sure to share it with your friends and subscribe to the channel. In addition, you can also hit the notification bell to be notified of our latest uploads. If you don't like using YouTube, we also use other platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Google, so you can find us there as well. Anywhere where you can find your favorite uh, podcasts, rather. If you want to reach out to us, you're free to comment on the video and we will see it and we'll comment back. Or you're free to reach out to us in our DMs at the right side of the compass on Instagram, and we'll be sure to respond to those DMs that you so uh, assiduously slid into. Is that the word you're supposed to use, assiduously? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, me neither. I'm not an English major. I barely speak English. I only speak American. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we put a lot of effort into this episode, so we hope you enjoy. Anyways, let's talk about our first topic of the day, which is Grand Trump Auto. The what? What did you call it? Grand Trump Auto. Grand Trump Auto. <laughs> that's that's very funny. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <Each day. laughs> well, am I wrong, Rody? Am I wrong? 
Are you wrong? Am very, I... very clever uh, play on words. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know if someone else did this, but I don't remember seeing it, or I remember seeing alternatives to it, but I don't remember seeing Grand Trump Auto, so I take full credit for it. So that's now trademarked. If anyone wants to make a game about you know Trump stealing cars, that would be incredible. Yeah. That would and be. And you'll have to talk to our lawyers. <laughs> exactly. And and our lawyers, by the way, are very Jewish. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're not just Jewish, they're very Jewish. <laughs> yeah, so look out. Exactly. Anyways, but let's get uh let's get talking about the the subject at hand, which is broadly speaking the January 6th hearings and more specifically about the very weird claim that Trump assaulted a secret service agent in order to commandeer the presidential limousine so that he can join his supporters. Very, very funny claim. Anyways, so the January 6th hearings started to a collective yawn. The, the the mainstream liberal left wants you to believe that everyone cares about the January 6th hearings. The reality is no one cares. No one cares. And we know this because the Daily Wire reported that CBS, that well, they reported several things. They reported that 20 million people tuned in to see the January 6th hearings. It sounds like a lot, but the it reality, it is a lot. But remember, compared to other things, it's actually not that much. Okay, I mean, I guess you would say what's the average for other things. So, from what I under, so if we if you go to the Daily Wire article about the January sixth uh, committee hearings, uh, or rather, let me see where to find it. I, I have it here. So this is an article by the Daily Wire, and I thought the Daily Wire actually did incredible coverage on January sixth. The world is watching January sixth hearings. Committee chairman boasts Americans ratings disagree. So basically. This is where they talk about there's the Nielsen ratings. According to preliminary rating fi- ratings figures from Nielsen, the world might have been watching, but Americans had better things to do. The New York Times tried to hype the number of people watching the hearings by writing breathlessly. An audience of at least 20 million people watched the first primetime hearings of the House Select Committee's investigation into the January 6th attack on Thursday night, according to Nielsen. But as the Federalist pointed out, that wasn't much to brag about. According to preliminary ratings figures from Nielsen published by the New York Times, more than 19 million tuned in for what was anticipated to be a blockbuster event. While 19 million may seem high at first glance, a look at what cable and broadcast networks typically pull for an average evening reveals Thursday's viewership as little to brag about, especially when all but one Fox News aired the live stream. So this is 20 million people across pretty much all the main like all the mainstream cable networks. Oh, so this is a, a cumulative rating. Yeah, it's it's cumulative. It's not just like one place. Right. So the three major networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC, pulled in a total of 11 million viewers. But Adweek noted for the week of May 30th that those networks' evening programs collectively averaged 7 million more viewers than the number on Thursday night. I mean, how many how many days has this hearing been going on for? It's been going on, let me see, it's been going on since uh, the middle of June. But I remember watching it, like, the first day, some of it, and it was super boring. Because I don't think think anyone really cares. I think everyone kind of knows implicitly this is really just a, like, a... I mean, it was also just repetitive. It was just bashing Trump again and again and again. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. Just, like, shut up. (laughs) It's amazing. Trump hasn't been in the White House for already two years now. Well, what is happening? Yeah, and, he's, and, just, and they're still talking about him. Because you know what it is? The more they talk about Trump, the less they talk about Biden. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. So uh, 
the Thursday night figures pale next to the presidential debates, 63 million to 73 million, or this year's State of the Union address, 38 million, is still much larger than the audience that would normally watch a daytime congressional hearing. So basically what they're saying is, is that uh, more people would were watching when it wasn't the, the January 6th hearing than if there were. But this is, I think, the most interesting thing. And this is the next point that I, I brought up. The Washington Free Beacon pointed out that CBS might have done better had they not bumped a young Sheldon rerun from its 8 p.m. primetime slot in order to broadcast the hearings. The decision backfired. Just 3.24 million people watched the network's capital assault hearings coverage on Thursday night, according to the TV ratings guide. Exactly one week p- prior, 3.86 million people tuned into CBS to watch a young Sheldon rerun, meaning an old episode of the coming-of-age sitcom garnered more... Uh, garnered roughly 600,000 more viewers than the inaugural hearing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it depends what the channels, uh, sorry, the, what their uh, goals are. I mean, obviously people would rather watch Young Sheldon than, than this. Which is interesting because I would never watch Young Sheldon. I think it's one of the most like. But if you had to choose. If I had to choose, I'd probably watch Young Sheldon. Exactly. Only because they're not openly dismissing like they're they're not like openly just saying we hate Trump. They're they're saying it implicitly. But also in the end of the day it's a business and you want more eyes and you know you're gonna give the better time slots with the most eyes to things that are more interesting. But that's the thing. If that were the case, then why would they show the capital assault hearings rather than young Sheldon? Because it's not Listen, the reality is, is that this isn't a business in the traditional sense of a business. This is a business that is propped up by the liberal elite. That it, It's a business that func- that serves to boost other businesses and boost government, right? So it doesn't matter if CBS takes a loss because the reality is, is that it's not about how much money CBS makes. It's about how much control the, the establishment has over the narrative. That's why they're not making smart business decisions. And that's how you know the press – at CBS and ABC and NBC, they're not they're not free press. They because they if they were free press, they would be ma- they would be talking about the things people want to hear about, and they would be more you know even handed with their coverage, and you know they would do things that would garner more viewers. But they're not doing that. They're they're a propaganda network first and foremost. Anyways, but that's enough from the article. You know, if you want to read the article, you could do so on the Daily Wire. It's a perfectly fine uh, article. But I want to talk about specifically one of the claims made by a former White House aide. I believe her name is Cassidy Hutchison, right? Okay. So Miss Hutch- so Cassidy Hutchinson's attorney uh, – well, let's go over the claim. Miss Hutchinson essentially said that Trump assaulted when, – when he heard about the Capitol riot, he essentially assaulted Secret Service agents and then tried to commandeer the limousine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why is it that when why is it that when people accuse the like Trump of doing something bad, it's still kind of cool? Also, I mean, I don't know, can you actually imagine him doing that? That's the thing, like I almost can, not because I think that actually happened, but like I could see Trump kind of be like, "You sir are not doing a good job being my secret service agent. I want to see my supporters get out of the way." I'm going to punch you now. (laughs) And then he punches the Secret Service agent and he commandeers, get in the car, loser. We're going to make America great again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, that's almost like cooler than anything. Because like when Biden is so-called doing the right thing, he's kind of lame. He's kind of boring. Like, it's almost like, 
how do I even explain it? You know, like when Biden was murmuring about like this guy corn pop and whatever. And it's like, what are you talking about? But when the left accuses Trump of doing something, it's always like these white collar crimes or it's always like, <laughs> yeah, like it always makes Trump look cool on some level. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do what the left is accusing Trump of. But at the same time, like, wouldn't it be cool if Trump did actually assault a Secret Service agent? Like, wouldn't that be kind of cool? I mean, I wouldn't say assault, but I mean, just taking over the limousine like for himself is just cool enough. It's like, yeah, imagine what president like, would do that. <laughs> what other president would? I, it's only I would only believe that because Trump is the type of guy who would want to be with his supporters. But we all know that's not what happened. Anyone who paid attention to what was actually going on knows that Trump was not doing that. But obviously, like that wasn't good enough because the reality is is that. Uh, she made these claims in front of a Senate hearing, and so a lot of people felt the need to correct – they need to correct the record. So the United States Secret Service, the USSS, told the Daily Wire on Wednesday that they were not contacted by the committee about Hutchinson's claims before the committee aired them as a blockbuster special. You would think that if, like, there was some uh, – you if you would think there was some sort of truth to it, then, you know, maybe the committee would go reach out to the Secret Service, see if it was true or not true, whatever. But this is not uh, what's going on. And uh, that it is just it's just a very ridiculous claim. And of course, the internet has taken by storm, kind of making fun of it and saying and and kind of making fun of the claim for one because it actually would be very difficult for Trump to take to take over the limousine from the back of the limousine. Because I don't know if you know this, but limousines typically they have like a big divide divide between like the driver's seat. Yeah, and I was the back. also thinking that like he's probably all the way in the back, you know. And like you said, there was a probably a divider in between and not only that either there's, there's actually an even heavier duty divider in the in the presidential limousine well well they don't they call his limousine like the beast or something it's like rocket proof yeah so essentially like trump would not have been able like i i don't ever want to say that trump wouldn't have been able to do something because trump would somehow find a way to prove me wrong <laughs> unless he was sitting in the front next to the driver but that's not where the president no, would sit you know that that would be very odd or thing. unless he like literally stopped the car and got out and then like went to the driver that's the only two ways you know he could have but uh, that wasn't what happened and we all know based on the testimony that was given and everyone kind of tearing her apart over it that this isn't what actually happened and she was kind of just you know trying to she's trying to get her 15 minutes of fame and so everyone's now kind of making fun of her for it which just goes to show you don't you, you don't do something that silly. Yeah, they're 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 trying to make this bigger than it is, but the reality is it's not going to be big because no one believes for one second that Trump could have hijacked the presidential limo. It's just not a it's not a thing that would have happened. Anyways, but that's enough about this topic. I want to get to the next topic, and the next topic's kind of big, so be prepared. Uh, but this one is America's women become based, and essentially. Well, I want to talk about a couple of different topics about abortion just to, you know, because in honor of Roe v. Wade getting, you know, axed, as it were, I want to talk about a couple of different things. First of all, I want to talk about uh, the response of, you know, the left to the the overturning of Roe v. Wade on Twitter as a result of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And just in case anyone wasn't paying attention, Roe v. Wade was a landmark case that essentially codified into American law the right to an abortion of some kind. I don't know what that means. But essentially, in, in re 
as a result of overturning Roe v. Wade, a lot of uh, leftists on Twitter were saying hashtag sex strike, which means that a lot of these leftist women were saying, you know, sure, unless- a lot of those are not bots. Uh, I don't know. That's not even the point. The point is, is that uh, there were leftist women saying, oh, we're going to have a sex strike. And uh, this demonstrates that the left really does not know what the right wants. Right. Because uh, as you can imagine, well, first of all, as you can imagine, a lot of these women who are saying sex strike are not the type of women you expect to be like being in high demand. Yeah, I guess you're saying like, oh, you wouldn't want to sleep with them anyways. Yeah, many of them are like ugly and fat and they have like weird colored hair and, you know, not exactly like the object of my desires, you know, like uh, I wouldn't exactly like if I if I spent the night with one of those land whales, I wouldn't be bragging about it to my buddies the next day. <laughs> land whales. <laughs> well, that's what that's 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 the definition of a feminist. The land. Whale. No, I'm just kidding. That's not nice. That's not nice. That's not nice to whales. What am I saying? <laughs> that's not nice. Oh God. I know. I'm so mean. Oh, Luke. <laughs> I, <laughs> you're gonna get us canceled <laughs> well we weren't already canceled Rody, it's not fair for me to say this because uh you know you and i both know that i am i am not in a position right now to say anything about feminism or feminists or whatever so uh well, <laughs> well without getting into details we'll just leave it at that so i should probably take back some of what i said because uh of what happened in my personal life recently but uh Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you those who know he who knows knows but uh no one knows as it were what happened so we're gonna leave it alone as it were anyways so but anyways conservatives were like your terms are acceptable and uh if you if you understand you understand you understand what's going on right i don't have to yeah like, well they're having a sex strike they're like well you know if you know, uh, if we can have abortion, you know, let's, you know, boycott sex. I don't know. <laughs> right, but isn't isn't that what, like, women used to do in the olden days? They used to say, like, oh, they you know still do. Have you, I mean, I've, at least what I've heard from married couples, women still <laughs> do. No, no, no. But I'm, what I mean is more broadly, like, in the olden days, it was expected that a woman would be very picky about who she chose to sleep with. Oh, you mean, like... You know, they would only have sex once they got married. Or, like, it, even if they didn't wait till marriage exactly, they would at least be more discerning with who they slept with. Even if they weren't wow. exactly, like, virgins when they went down the aisle. Like, there was, there was a certain expectation that, like, you would not be a trollop and you would go and you would save yourself for someone special. You wouldn't... Like nowadays, like women behave a lot like men where they go to the bar and they find a guy and they just like spend the night with him and then they go to the next guy. But that's how men behave. That's typically how men behave because they lack the consequences of of from sex that females do. But once women, you know, had access to abortion, uh, abortion as birth control and also other forms of birth control and also the culture kind of getting destroyed so a lot of women they they started having a lot more promiscuous sex but the reality is is that now that abortion is off the table for many women a lot of women are saying you know i'm not gonna have sex with you know just anyone and uh, the right was like saying that's awesome sounds great (laughs) that's great it's like uh now they just need to show up to church and the right got everything they wanted right yeah yeah, so I mean, it's just. I mean, they were also talking about uh, guys getting um, 
what's that procedure called? Vasectomies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, but even then, I don't think like conservative men are running out to get vasectomies. I think it's no, more like I don't know why. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. Like it's the conservative guy, the, the conservative men and the conservative women, they were already kind of doing their own thing. They were already kind of waiting till marriage and having like ten bazillion children per family. But now the liberal men are like, oh, if I want to sleep with the liberal women, I better get a vasectomy. And the, the the liberal women are like, well, I better be on birth control and I better be on this and I better check. So, well, first of all, you're going to see a lot of liberals not having sex anymore because the reality is all this like background checking is just not conducive to a, like a sexy time. So, because like how sexy is like, oh, can you verify that you had a vasectomy and that you, you know, you're wearing a condom and you're, wow. you know, and then also like there's affirmative consent. And so every time you, you touch a woman, you have to be like, is it okay to touch you? Can I do this again? Can I do, like, can I take off your shirt? Can I like, and there's nothing sexy about that. Like sex is supposed to be a lot more intuitive than, you know, it's not supposed to be like you're in a courtroom and asking permission, you know, to do that. So essentially, you know, you're going to have a lot of less liberals having sex, but you're also going to be having a liberals not having kids, which again, this is a big discussion because I don't think liberals really need to have kids to take, to, to like take over the culture. Cause they, they just go off to your kids. That's what like the whole, like transing the kids is about. They're, they're trying to take the kids away from the conservatives who have like 10 kids and they're trying to like turn them into the next liberals that way. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go with this, but essentially liberalism begets liberalism and conservatism begets conservatism liberal policy like i said you know when when colorado voted in you know when they made marijuana legal a lot of people who wanted to smoke marijuana moved to colorado so they could have their marijuana and then that resulted in the state becoming more blue uh but as you see when when the supreme court said hey we're going to overturn roe v wade and we're going to send abortion back to the states a lot of states said oh hey we're going to do the conservative thing and ban abortion, you know, for the most part. And a lot of women said they made, they, they don't even know they're making the conservative decision, but they're just like, you know what, if I can't have an abortion whenever I want, I'm just not going to have sex until, you know, I know I want to have kids, which is the appropriate thing to do. Right. And before we go on to the next topic, I do feel like it's important to mention a couple of things. Um, this is an article, an analysis made by the Daily Wire. I know we're bringing the Daily Wire up a lot, but they've been very on top of the news recently. And so um, there's a bunch of disinformation. You'll see a lot of like disingenuous liberal types saying like, you know, oh, if, if a Roe v. Wade gets overturned, then no one cares about the life of the mother. And, you know, the women are going to be forced to take miscarriage babies up to term. Now, this is true. Um, for example, ectopic pregnancy. Uh, do you know what ectopic pregnancy is? No idea. Okay, so an ectopic pregnancy is allegedly when uh, a woman gets pregnant, but the baby, the, the the fertilized egg is not inside the womb. And so it's essentially like, imagine like you, it's almost that like- a kill the mother, I heard. It can, it can very much. So apparently like a lot of the left, the left hearts will say like, oh, you know, you, we can't have- uh, we can't have, we can't ban normal abortions because, you know, now the conservatives will be knuckle dragging idiots and they'll ban ectopic pregnancy procedures. No, but, they're, they're definitely not going to ban that. Well, that's the thing. So even the most like single pro-life, even the most pro-life people are like, that's not really an abortion. And even by the way, Planned Parenthood says it's not an abortion. So both the right and the left agree that that's not an abortion, uh, ectopic pregnancy. And then you also have, uh, and then you also have miscarriages are not illegal. It's very important to point out miscarriages are not going to be legal under a lot of these rules. Um, no one will have a problem with doing that. And there's also a, a much broader point, which is that 
when people say like, oh, we're going to, we, we want to save the life of the mother, you know, and let's say the mother's life needs to be saved by having an abortion. What they don't understand is what, is that an abortion is a very specific thing and it's done very specifically in a, in a very specific way. And I can't imagine a single scenario where the way an abortion is done can save the mother's life as opposed to any other procedure, which is to say that when, when you, when you, there are reasons why someone might need to separate a mother who's pregnant from the child in the womb to save the mother's life for whatever reason, right? There could be many, many good reasons to do so. But what an abortion is, is essentially a doctor goes in with like a pair of snippers and like clips the like, well, first of all, um, trigger warning. Uh, and I, I do mean this seriously, cause this is kind of like disturbing information and thank God we're only a podcast that does uh, sound. We don't do images, but basically when, from what I understand, when you do an abortion at like Planned Parenthood, you snip the neck of the baby to kill it immediately. And then you like cut out the different pieces. You pull the pieces out piece by piece. Why you're required to do that as opposed to any other form, which would potentially allow the baby to survive that. I don't know. I don't know why specifically we need to do that. I can't imagine a single scenario where you must go into the womb and cut the baby out with scissors. I just, I, I can't imagine that. Um, so, I can understand why you would have to end a pregnancy with surgery, whatever it is. But the way an abortion, what, what people are talking about an abortion, it's never medically necessary. Like that specific thing, I can't imagine being med medically necessary. You mean when there is no danger? No, even when there is a danger, the way that abortions are typically performed, I can't imagine that being ever being medically necessary. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. Know. That... <laughs> what? No, I was saying that like, Essentially, the way abortions are performed is that they cut the baby up inside the womb. Why yeah, is it? They probably, they probably cut the, uh, what's the cord? Um, the umbilical cord? Yeah, they probably cut no, that. No that's, not what they, no, that's not what it is. They cut the neck of the baby. What? They clip the neck of the baby. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They cut the baby up into little pieces, and then they drag it out piece by piece. That's disgusting. It's very disgusting. Why anyone would ever need to do that, even if the mother's life is in danger, why it would need to be done that way and not any other way. I mean, I guess it also depends how big the baby is. Like, if it's, like, for example, if it's, like, a big fetus, then I guess it could be hard for to take the entire thing out. That's probably But that's what a cesarean it. section is. What do you think a cesarean section is? I don't even know. what That's the first time I've he I'm hearing of that, so I have no idea. C-section? You don't know what a C-section is? Yes, I know what a C-section is. Okay, so that's the, the short version of a cesarean section. Uh, Basically, okay, you fine. cut the stomach and you pull the baby out. That can be done when the baby's fully formed. So if the baby's too big to come out, like, without getting too graphic, you can cut the stomach open, right? And pull the baby out that way, right? Yeah, but that would require opening up the mother, which might not be necessary. Like, because if you're killing the baby anyways, then... You know, but you don't need to kill the baby. The baby, there's a difference between killing the baby and doing something that might end the life of the baby. You under, you understand what I'm saying? Like if you like, yes, like if you take the entire baby out without cutting it, like there's a chance it can survive. Right, and perhaps that's more appropriate than cutting up the baby. But we all know that abortion has as much to do with killing the baby and hiding the results of the baby as it does with ending the pregnancy. Why do people typically get abortions? Eh, because they don't want to take care of a child. Right. But you would, but it's also because of the shame of it, right? Because if you have a, and this is, I think part of the reason why, like, it's so awesome that it's happening because women are now like, 
up until now, if let's say a, a woman with loose morals would have intercourse, right? And she goes and she has the abortion, right? She gets to cover up the fact that she had a baby with someone who she wasn't supposed to be having sex with. There is an element of shame to these types of things. And people forget that, that shame is a very necessary emotion, right? And so not only do they get to end the pregnancy, but they also get to end the life of the baby. And, you know, they get to like kind of sweep the baby under the rug. And now the baby's not like a giant glaring character flaw for that woman. But now the woman has to not only deal with the fact that she might get pregnant, but she also has to deal with the fact that now this baby exists and is proof of her shame that this baby exists. That's why this is so awesome because it is the, not only is it the physical consequences of pregnancy, but it's also the spiritual consequences of having to look at a baby created by sin of, of knowing that like a woman who has a baby out of wedlock, this is a baby she had and she shouldn't have had, but she has to deal with it. She can't, she can't just kill it and, and like, like shove it under the rug and pretend it never happened. Yeah. I hear that. Um, and then there's also the you know financial implications, which would be another reason. Right, the financial implications are very important, I would say. Um, and I don't know who needs to hear this. I mean, we are two Jews, so I feel like it's very important to point this out. I, there's a lot of a lot of two missing Jews. two Jews walk into it. It's the beginning of a joke. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, there there is a lot of misinformation coming out of the Jewish community because there's a lot of Jews who people don't get this about Jews that we're also an ethnic group, and so there are people who who are Jews, but they don't believe in any single tenet of Judaism and they don't know anything about Judaism. It's not like Christianity where to be a Christian, you need to believe in something to be Jewish. You need to be part of a nation. You could be a good Jew. You could be a bad Jew, but if you're Jewish, you're Jewish. There's nothing you can do about it. So there's been a lot of people who have been trying to attack the Supreme court's decision to end Roe v. Wade by saying, Oh, you know, the, the mother's life is important and Christians don't value the mother's life the same way that Jewish, you know, Judaism does. And so therefore it's some kind of, uh, religious liberty issue but the problem is is that they only say this when it has to do with abortion they never bring this up for example when it comes to liberal gun law states that prevent people from owning weapons despite the fact that in jewish law there are many many situations where someone can enter your house without your permission and you are free to kill them according to jewish law do these talmudic scholars that all of a sudden materialized on my facebook page do they believe in expanding gun rights so that I can kill invaders in my home? No, they don't, because it's a political thing. It has nothing to do with Judaism. So I feel like that was important to point out. Mm -hmm. Anyways, let's get to the third topic. I think you'll know a little bit more about this topic than uh, than the other two topics, but uh, we'll see. Anyways, enough about the moralistic things that have been going on. Enough about Donald Trump. Let's talk about cryptocurrency. Whoa. All Economics. Right, so finance. Yeah, that's uh, that's Money. your stuff. That's your stuff, Rody. You should be. You should know more about this than I do. Hopefully, we'll see. Anyways, so anyone who is paying attention to crypto knows that crypto has been sinking like an anvil. Like a what? An anvil. An anvil. Yeah, you know, like those things in the cartoons that you drop from, like the. Oh, it's like a big metal thing. Yeah, yeah, and then it hits the guy in the head, and you know maybe his teeth fly yeah, out. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Birdies <laughs> flying around like that, <laughs> or maybe like okay. it collapses him into the ground, but like he somehow survives. So that's an anvil, right? So cryptocurrency, the value of cryptocurrency has been falling like an anvil, which is to say a lot. Bitcoin's 
value fell 60% since I believe the beginning of 2022. It's wow. currently, yeah, it's currently sitting under 20,000 USD as of, as of oh, when I wrote the outline. 60%. That's a lot. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, I could check the prices now, but I don't think it's above. 20, I mean, but that's kind of, you know, predictable because, but you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is very volatile, you know, medium of, you know, currency so it's, it was very it's, volatile but i would have predicted it would have been going up in value as as inflation goes up a lot of people yeah wouldn't. but the same thing the literally i look me personally if people are worried about bitcoin going away because like oh my god it's falling 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 it's it's not it's not going away anytime soon that's one two the same thing happened in 2017 when it first went to twenty thousand, then it fell back down to like ten thousand. Um, no, remember that but then but I think the circumstances were a bit different, though. I think in in that situation, it was a bubble, right? Yes, it and was a bubble, and then people started selling it once they had gains, and then it went back down to ten. You're right. This is probably more, probably connected more to the to the economy, because over the last few years, it's been a lot of it's been being it's been connecting more to the actual economy and what. And following, you know, the different trends and what's happening with all these different people investing at these banks, big companies, this, that. So it definitely has a more rooted um, set of roots in what's happening around us. I do feel that way. Right. But the reality is, is that if if Bitcoin and cryptocurrency more broadly was really this hedge against inflation, then you would think right now Bitcoin prices would be through the roof. You're Right. But at the same time, um, where is gold? Um, gold price. I mean, gold is also down. So, I mean, like everything is kind of somewhat down. Maybe not as much as uh, um, it's also like in the negative. Not as Definitely not as much as it's definitely not down 60%. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But um, the point is, is that... Uh, you're right. It is getting part of the reason probably is, I mean, one, they said that, um, what was one of the reasons why they said it fell? It was because there was a defaulted loan. Yeah, there was a defaulted because it, well, it, that it's kind of like a chicken and the, it's a chicken and egg scenario, which came first. Was it the falling? Uh, the reason why this, uh, three arrows capital, oh, let me, let me just put a background on June 27th, three arrows capital three AC defaulted on a loan from Voyager digital worth about 350 million in crypto assets. The loan was made up of USD coin and roughly 15,250 BTC. 3AC was a major backer of TerraUSD slash Luna, the epicenter of last month's stablecoin meltdown. So we see here that um, that in, in what happened was essentially is that they defaulted on a loan, but they were they defaulted on a loan that happened while crypto was melting so i don't think it's fair to say that it's the same like that's not fair to say i mean there could be multiple reasons like uh there's could be hundreds of reasons first of all because, because what if people are taking what if people are taking out the money that they have in cryptocurrency and because like people don't have jobs and you know money's not worth well, first of all the economy is getting better in terms of that so people are probably taking out their money to first of all use that's one Second of all, um, people can be, it could be a, just a side effect of people saying, hey, it's going down, you know, I'm going to sell it because it's going down, take my profits. 
That's true. That's two. Three is inflation. Um, and everything else getting more expensive. Um, That's what I was thinking. I was thinking people would take out their BTC or whatever to make up for, you know, certain for certain deficiencies in their lifestyle now that if now that if now that inflation's going through the roof. You know what well, I mean? It's also it's also like interest rates. So like interest rates are also, you know, very high. So here's the thing. Bitcoin's a very high risk um, asset. Okay. Now when now all these companies now now that interest rates are going up the economy is slowing down now when the economy slows down all these big investors these institutional investors you know the big banks as well as you know retail investors which is like people like us when interest rates are high they tend to go to less risky things because the economy is is slowing down that means it's not as volatile it's not going up Okay, when interest rates are down, why do we have low interest rates? Because we have low interest rates to speed up the economy. That means more businesses can take out money. And if more businesses are taking out money, they can do more. And if they could do more, then they can uh, make more money. And if they're making more money, the, you know, the stock market is going to go up. Now, if the stock market is going to go up, people are going to be thinking, hey, you know, the economy is doing well. I'm going to invest in Bitcoin. Even though it's a high risk, the likelihood of it going up is probably very high because the economy is doing well. But now that interest rates are going down, it's the economy is slowing down because now less people can take out money. Mortgages are are up. Um, so they want to put their money in a more safe, even though it's earning them less interest, it's more safe. Does that make sense? I guess, but to me, that's not... I don't think that's the compelling reason. I think it's because the economy is being squeezed right now. I think a lot of people are feeling the squeeze. So the people who – like I did this. That's how I know because from personal experience, I know that when I was having a bit of a tough time, you know, before, you know, dipping into this savings or that savings or calling mom and dad for help, I dipped into the savings I had in crypto. But who – but you have to look at the – but the way crypt, I mean the way it works is supply and demand and who is the majority of – cryptocurrency holders someone who doesn't have a lot or someone who does have a lot well i think well here's the thing i think that there's it's 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 a big question because the reality is there's a lot of people who made their wealth in bitcoin so just because someone has a lot of money in bitcoin doesn't mean that like just as elon musk has a lot of money but all his money is tied up in like tesla stock mm -hmm. right so the same thing here like if someone has a lot of money in Bitcoin, if they bought, you know, 15,000 Bitcoins when it was $10 and now they're a Bitcoin bazillionaire, right? Because it was up $60,000 and you have like 15,000 Bitcoins. So 15,000 times 60,000 is too much money, right? But they never took it out because they're like, oh, I'm going to ride the Bitcoin ride wave. Well, all of a sudden now it's falling. So they have to sell it if they want to keep their money because now they have a different lifestyle. Um, I mean, I guess I hear that <clears throat> just for me, it's, I think you know, the more, the majority of cryptocurrency holders are people that can't afford to have their money down. But look, I look at it this way. People are always, when people are at least, at least what Warren Buffett said, when people are scared, you know, that's, you know, that's when you buy. 
You know, and when people are, you know, haughty and confident of the market, that's when you sell. Well, this is, I feel like this is a great point to point. This is a great time to point out that we're not financial advisors and please don't take anything that we're saying as financial advice. Anyways, but I did want to ask two questions. I want to say, is there a future for cryptocurrency in the future? And I think you answered that question, at least in your opinion. Uh, do you think there's a future for cryptocurrency? You said pretty much yes, because it's going to yeah, bounce back. Look, I, it's too much of a cultural phenomenon. You know, you need crypto for NFTs and all these different like meta stuff that's happening. So I don't really think it's going anywhere anytime soon. So I don't, I wouldn't really worry about it. I mean, I saw just in my own life, I saw someone opening a Bitcoin uh, transfer, you know, store as it were there was a, a physical storefront where you can exchange bitcoin for for like i guess shekels or whatever but it was in it was in jerusalem it's not like you know it's not like in new york it's in jerusalem like who uses bitcoin in jerusalem and the answer is i guess enough people where they felt it was profitable enough to hedge their bets on a physical location for bitcoin which is as odd as it sounds so i don't think it's going anywhere either but i guess to me the the better question is this demonstrates why people we we need to like get away from this libertarian fantasy of we're only going to have digital currency and the government is not going to have any control over the currency because when the government has no control this is what happens money becomes unreliable and bitcoin can be an excellent hedge against inflation but it cannot replace a stable currency or a relatively stable currency regulated by a government or regulated by the price of gold or you know like things like that uh-huh. Um, I mean, I guess. I mean, look, it, it, it was made for that purpose. Right. But I, I so again, I understand the purpose of Bitcoin. I'm saying that that purpose is dumb because as we saw from the Russia-Ukraine thing, having your money be tied up in ones and zeros is not a good idea because then ones and zeros is just code. You could shut down code. Yeah, right? but your money's already like that. You know, when you go to the bank, you have a bank account and you see it on a screen. It's one ones and zeros. It's not it's not physically there. No, listen, but it's still tied to something real. Like there's still in theory, you could take out a dot. Like if you have a thousand dollars in your bank account, you could theoretically go and take your thousand dollars and you can go and use a thousand dollars and you could take it out and it's physical. Right? Yeah, but their files are probably all digital. If someone hacks them and wipes out their entire system. It's like, well, then who's who had what? Because all of our information was backed up online. Look, it's a, actually look. If banks are dealing with with money with other people's money, so like, like I wouldn't be surprised if they had it backed up on disks that wasn't connected to the internet or even having physical copies. Um, but even so. Yeah, but there was always like a little bit of fungibility to money. Like even back in the day, there was there was always more money that existed than in, than in circulation. Which is to say that the banks would give out IOU notes because that's the original type of money. IOU notes. They would give those out knowing that not everyone would use them at once, and that's how the economy worked, right? So whether you have a gold standard or you have a or you have a fiat standard or you have a crypto standard, there's always more money that exists than exists in circulation. If that makes any sense, if I said it correctly. 
I mean, there is, I guess, I mean, but 80% of money nowadays is online. Right. But even if you're comparing the US dollar, which is 80% digital, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, it is 80% digital versus a cryptocurrency. The dollar is at least regulated by a governing board and there are people in charge to make sure it doesn't fluctuate no, the, that the rapidly. The difference is the dollar is backed up by the US economy, while Bitcoin is backed up by, by a belief system. Well, at the risk of sounding like a religious heretic here, I don't believe in Bitcoin simply because if I can't go into a store and buy my candy bar in Bitcoin, it's not useful to me. I mean, yeah, but also that it's backed up by the belief. Like if people stop believing in Bitcoin, it, it's over. You know, it's like it doesn't it has no value. Right. While, but while the dollar is backed up by the U.S. economy. Um, and taxpayer dollars. Right. But even, but I guess you could say all money is based on faith, right? Because even the gold standard, right? You have to have faith. Look, in the end of the day, what is value? Okay. In the value end of the day, is inherently subjective because if, exactly. if value is objective, then you couldn't go into a store, take a dollar, and buy a newspaper. Because if there was objective value, then either the dollar would be worth more or the newspaper would be more. But things are worth different things to different people. But the thing that, I like about having like a gold standard or even a fiat standard is that there is at least there's at least something real beyond faith. It's more than faith, right? There's a there's a there's a there's a there's a system attached to it, right? And the more tangible you make your currency, the less likely it is that overnight it's going to change rapidly in value or it's going to lose value altogether because people lose faith in it, right? Because if you if you're if you're on like a standard like the American like the fiat standard, then if you have faith in the American government, then like even if the the American government fluctuates a bit here or there, for the most part, you can expect the American government to exist for many years. And even more so, the gold standard, even if the American government fails, gold exists, right? That's the beautiful thing about gold. Yeah, um, gold is a good hedge. <laughs> Again, you know, and it is a good uh, asset, and that's why it's, it's uh, you know, still exists. Yeah. Well, anyways, I think that's enough about that topic, and I think that's it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can find us on YouTube and Rumble. If you want to reach out to us, you can slide into our DMs, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next time. <laughs>